Well, let's open up Revelation, go to chapter 8. We're actually going to read through Revelation 8, 9, and 10 this morning. That's our plan, if God will allow us. The theme today, or the big idea is, I must trumpet the gospel of Jesus. Play on words there, because we're going to talk about the trumpet judgments today. And so, we need to be trumpeting, or heralding, or exalting the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the main thing I want you to take away from these three chapters today. That's our job, that's our goal, that's why you breathe air for free right now and exist. We should point people to Jesus. The key verse today, Psalm 9, I know it's not Revelation, but Psalm 9, 7 and 8. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. I pulled that verse out to let you know that God is judge and he will bring about justice. But I want you as a believer to be inspired today to tell as many people as you can about the Savior. We don't want to be people that are are so bloodthirsty and blood-hungry for Christ to come that so many people will perish. We ought to pray, Lord, give us more people to tell you the gospel to. God's judgments are certain, they're severe, and they're appropriate for the righteous to be vindicated. I know that's true. We want the Lord to come. We want him to come. We want to be vindicated for believing and having faith in Christ. But at the same time, hell is awful. Do you believe in hell, Pastor Don? Hell, yes. It is true. Hell exists. And it is a terrible reality. And I want you today to know that hell was not created for individuals. I say that because the Bible very clearly says that hell was created for Satan and his demonic angels. And the rest of unsaved humanity will also suffer that fate. But God is not willing that any should perish. Amen? God is not willing. He didn't create hell to punish individuals. It was created for Satan and his dominion. However, the reality is people will perish. And that ought to move you. I hope that moves you today. To understand that people will perish. I want to remind you what I taught last week. The four points that God warns. He provides salvation. He waits patiently. And he dispenses justice. That's God's character. That's who he's been all along. From the Old Testament to the end of Revelation. He always warns first. And then he always provides salvation. And then he waits. He waits. But he will dispense justice that's god's character last week we did the seal judgments we did six seals and then there's a parenthesis god has a theme going through revelation he does this with the seal judgments the trumpets and the bowl judgments there's six and then a pause and then the seventh comes and today we're going to talk about that seventh seal which is the seven trumpet judgments. Does that make sense to you? So we had six seal judgments, a pause where we heard about the 144,000 testimonies going out, preaching the word, and a multitude, a, a, a group of people, a great group of people are saved. And we see that in this little pause between the sixth and seventh seal. And the seventh seal is the seven trumpet judgments. I hope you can kind of grasp that. And so today we're at the seventh seal. Let's look at it, Revelation 8, 1 through 6. Reading 
along as I read out loud. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and the seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings of lightning and an earthquake. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. So now we're in the seven seal judgments, which are these seven trumpet judgments. And we hear that there's a great silence in heaven for a half hour. What's that all about? I've had three experiences in my life where I've experienced a holy hush. Like a reverent silence. One of those came at the National Memorial of the Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. I was there with a team from college. We were singing, traveling throughout Honolulu and singing in various churches. But one of the things we got to do is to go out to Pearl Harbor. And there we lined up and we sang a cappella. We sang some patriotic songs. How many of you have been to Pearl Harbor before? I hope you experienced what I experienced. There's a reverent hush when you get there. There's not a lot of joking and laughing and giddiness. There's a quietness. And everybody seems to just know that. This is a solemn place. And we're remembering something that happened that was horrible. And then I was in a concentration camp in Berlin, Germany. Orangeburg, I believe. And we had to walk from town to the concentration camp, not too far out of town, short walk to realize those people were living in that village knowing that just outside their village was this awful concentration camp. And we walked through the concentration camp and was having a, a wonderful day. Everything was normal until we got to the chambers, the gas chambers. And we walked inside there and there was a holy hush. Again, I'm with 28 teenagers and some volunteers, and usually when you're with 28 teenagers, there's never a holy hush of anything. But without even telling them, everybody knew this is not a place to joke around. There was a tremendous loss of life here. In a quiet moment, I was able to teach our children that on the sides were these little piles of rocks. And explain that the Jews to this day pile up stones to commemorate a place so that they'll never forget. And then the third place I went, probably the most inspiring to me, was Columbine High School. On April 20th, 1999, I watched in horror as Columbine was taken over by two shooters and a lot of students were killed and staff were killed that day. And I watched on TV, maybe like you did, as teens were breaking windows and hanging out, trying to get out of the school. Since then, everything has changed. But it moved me so much that I took a team that July. It happened in April. In July, I took 25 teenagers to Columbine. 
and we did some missions work in the community, but we went to the high school one day. This was so fresh after April, it's now July. There wasn't any permanent monuments yet. There was just makeshift monuments that the teenagers from the school had put up crosses for all the the people that had died that day, including the two gunmen. And I took our teenagers there, and that was another location where they knew this isn't a place to joke. This isn't a place to be happy. This is a place to reflect and be quiet. Those three moments compare nothing to what I believe happens in heaven. And make sure you understand that this holy hush that we read about this morning only happens in heaven because on earth there's nothing but chaos. On earth, chaos has already been happening with the six sealed judgments, uh, war and famine and, and all sorts of desolation and dying. But in heaven, before the seven trumpet judgments, there's a moment of a holy hush. As many as the prayers had been of saved people, Lord, how long? How long until you bring justice? How long? And and the angels too, by the way. The angels have dealt with fallen angels and demonic angels all these years. Like we as as followers of Christ deal with ungodly people. There's there's a heavenly realm and there's an earthly realm. Both angels and saved people, redeemed people are crying out, Lord, we want justice. We want, we want you to come now. We want and at the moment that it becomes very clear that God is going to do this, there's a holy hush. Because these type of things that we're going to talk about today should be devastating to you. It should hit you in the gut today in a way that makes you realize, I shouldn't celebrate this or laugh or, or joke about this. What's about to happen is literally on a biblical scale. It introduces the seven angels with seven trumpets, and then the seven trumpet judgments, they're contained within this seventh seal. An eighth angel is going to hurl judgment to the earth, and it's mixed with the prayers of all of God's people, and I would include the heavenly angels at that point. So let's look at the first of the trumpet judgments found in starting in verse 7. The first angel sounded his trumpet and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and it was hurled down to the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burnt and all the grass, green grass was burned up. What do we see in this, thank you sir, in this first trumpet judgment? Well we find that immediately hail and fire mixed with blood. You might be thinking very literally about this and how can this be how can blood be mixed in with this i don't know exactly although it it very clearly resembles the seventh plague of god on the egyptians and by the way i i would just let you know that these these things that are happening they're, they're, they're plagues coming upon this earth and they do mirror these terrible plagues that happened in egypt with pharaoh's people I think that's no mistake, and I say that because instead of trying to figure out exactly uh, what is this fire from heaven, is this a certain uh, missile, or is this a certain atomic bomb, I don't want you to get so far into the trees that you're lost in those concepts, because 
500 years ago, people were trying to figure out what these things were. And they were guessing what they had that day. And so why today would we think that, of course, it means a a ballistic missile? No, don't say that. You don't know. We don't know that. You can think that. But don't say you know that. These things can simply be God plagues that he sends. It doesn't have to be a, a helicopter, Apache helicopter. It doesn't have to be a ballistic missile. It can simply be God dispensing justice on this earth. In the seventh plague, we did hear of hail and fire mixed with blood coming down. It's a devastating blow to the ecology of the land. It it, it reduced the ability to sustain animal life and vegetation. This would be an, an incredible blow. Already there's been an incredible blow. There's already pestilence and disease and famine. And now we have a third of all the green things burnt up devastating devastating the second trumpet found in verses eight through nine the second angel sounded his trumpet and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea turned into blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed you might be asking is this a literal third i i don't know I think there's a number because I think it is numbered. I I do think God is saying it's not all, it's not even half, it's less than half, but it is devastating. So I don't think you have to go and count every grass blade to say, did he burn up exactly one-third of grass? No, I, I think it's not half, it's not a quarter, it's somewhere in the third that this is going to be destroyed. And then the second trumpet, we have this blazing thing that comes from the sky. Uh, of course, many of the day today's commentators say that this perhaps is a nuclear bomb again i don't know why we have to say that the bible says it was something like a mountain it was not a mountain understand when the when the writer uses words like it was something like a that's very clearly he's not saying it was a mountain it was something like a mountain so it's huge Something of mammoth proportion is on fire is hurled into the ocean. Is that an atomic bomb? I don't know. Can it simply be a a huge meteorite? Obviously, something of that size did not burn up on its way in the atmosphere. Could it be? It could be. We don't know. All I know is the Bible does tell us that a third of the oceans turned to blood. We know that in the plagues, uh, the waters turned to blood in Egypt. And again, we have a part of the waters, the ocean, salt waters, that are turned into blood. What does that mean? Well, of course, that means a third of the ocean creatures die. They can't live in this type of of plasma instead of water. And a third of all ships are destroyed, whether it's nuclear or whether it's a huge meteorite hitting the water. We do know that a big portion of our oceans are destroyed, and that which was in it is destroyed. That's what's coming as these trumpet sound the third trumpets found in 10 and 11 the third angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water the name of the star is wormwood a third of the waters turned bitter and many people died from the waters that had become bitter the third trumpet is this blazing star is this an angel Uh, it's hard in Revelation because sometimes when it says a star fell, it's an angel. Sometimes it's it's something heavenly we we don't know. Uh, It has a name. Uh, That's an odd thing, wormwood. Wormwood was a bitter 
a tree that was mostly grew in the desert places. It was, it was common uh, that if that got mixed into the water, it would make the water bitter. We have some Old Testament passages with Moses that deal with wormwood. And so we have this thing that comes down from heaven, and, and now it strikes the fresh waters. I'll pause for a second and, and, and let you think about, is this global in scale or is this local in scale? I can't tell you. I, I don't know for sure. Does this happen only over in Israel? Uh, part of the passage we're reading talks about the Euphrates River. Is it just the, the headwaters in that area of, of the Nile in the north in that area? I don't, I don't know. I tend to think it's global. I tend to think that God is pouring his wrath not only on that area but on the whole world. But somehow, something strikes the freshwater source. It's called wormwood. It means bitter. And a third of the fresh water turns poisonous and kills many people. I, I can't imagine people would drink the water with it being bitter. So I don't know if it's literally bitter or if it just means that it's been poisoned. I think it's probably tasteless and odorless because many people die. It takes a while for people to realize we're dying. There's people dying because they've been poisoned by the water. The fresh water is now ruined. So we have the salt water of the oceans. Now we have the fresh waters that people drink. This would be a terrible, terrible place to be. And again, that holy hush came upon heaven because I think that all the heavenly hosts knew about devastation and pain. And even though they wanted justice, whew, We then hear the fourth trumpet, the fourth trumpet, the fourth angel sounded in verse 12, his trumpet and the third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light and also a third of the night. I know we're into the thirds, right? Uh, what is that? Algebra people probably love that. I, I didn't like algebra in school. I still don't understand why we had to put alphabet with the numbers. I was fine in math until they started putting the alphabet in. And then we had to figure those things out. But those of you who like algebra, maybe you like this whole third thing. Again, you can take it very literally. And I am a literalist, by the way. I like to take things literal in the Bible unless there's a reason not to take them literally. But we are in this category of, of, of revelation and apocalyptic literature. I do believe in this sense it's not to be taken actual literal literal, but I do think it is around that mark of only a third. Not half, not all, but it is numbered. I hope you can understand that even in the awfulness, God is with holding all of the destruction he's he's holding it back i believe and that's what the bible is letting you know it's a third only a third in this trumpet we have the third of the sun moon and stars that are struck how why i don't know how but it is some kind of a heavenly brownout remember we had that a couple of weeks ago we had our own uh, apocalyptic oakwood version of a brownout when the lights kind of dimmed in here i, I think that's what's going to happen in the ecology of that day, somehow the sun, moon, and stars are going to be struck, and it's going to be a brownout reducing light and heat, and it's going to change the 24-hour day cycle. If you do the third, I think that brings us down to a 16-hour day. I don't know. I haven't seen any commentators say this, but perhaps this is merciful that the 24-hour day is now a 16-hour day, and that seven-year period is now shortened. That's what I pray. I pray it's shortened now. I pray their day is only 16 hours long because what they're living with is horrific. They can only beg that the minutes go faster, only beg that the hours disappear. I don't know, but my heart was moved as I read that. Thank you, God. 
if time could be shortened during this devastating time. And then we get to the fifth trumpet. And what amazes me is we've unveiled the six seal judgments, and now we're in the seventh seal, which is the seven trumpets. We've got four trumpets, and now all of a sudden an angel shows up and starts screaming, whoa, 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 because the last of the trumpet judgments are worse than what has taken place. Oh my goodness, it gets worse. Stop and just evaluate what's happened here in this earth. The devastation. And at this point, I need to remind you, Satan hasn't been introduced to the scene. This is God's justice on this earth. We like to think of Revelation as that dragon that evil dragon doing all these things. We like, to, we like the apples to apples, bad things, Satan. But you need to know that our God is dispensing justice here. And the fifth trumpet is the first of the three woes. The final three trumpet judgments are declared worse than the first four. So let's look at the fifth trumpet, verses, or chapters 9. Chapter 9, 1 through 12. I hope you notice in chapter 8, these first four trumpet judgments were about one or two verses long. Now we get to the woes and their entire, or mostly a whole chapter of description. So let's read 1 through 12 of Revelation 9. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke of the abyss and out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any tree or plant, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them, but were to torture them for five months, and the agony they suffered was like that of a sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces their hair was like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth they had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into the battle they had tails with stingers like scorpions and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months they had as a king over them the angel of the abyss whose name in hebrew is abaddon and in greek is an apollyon that is destroyer the first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. At this fifth trumpet, first we see a fallen star. And again, the other star was something that came down to the fresh water. I don't believe it was a person or an angel. Uh, but now we do know that this is a person or a thing. The fallen star, who or what? There are several uh, opinions on who or what this angel is or this fallen star is the first one is God's angel and I would take us to uh, Revelation 20 verses 1 through 3 if we have that we do 
And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon and the ancient servant, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I believe the thing that makes the most sense would be that this is an angel. A mighty angel from heaven. Why? Because in Revelation 20, we see the angel with the key to the abyss. I think he held the keys. I think he's got it. I don't know if it's a key fob, but it's a key of some kind. And since this angel has the key in Revelation 20, I kind of would think that this an angel that came down with the key was given the key, and he opens the abyss. So, but you don't have to think that. Some people think it's Satan. That doesn't make sense because Satan comes out of the abyss right now. But you can think what you want. I'm not telling you how to think, but you can take the scripture and, and apply it how you see there. He opens this bottomless pit of the shaft of the abyss. It's open, and out of this abyss comes locusts. Now, here's where, again, I understand the desire to say, oh, I know what this is. This is that certain helicopter because the sound of its wings, right? Oh, that makes sense. Thunder and chariots. I mean, and, and John, of course, being in that day, didn't know anything about helicopters or any kind of a, uh, our day's technology. And so he was trying to describe something he didn't understand. I just don't fall into that camp, friends. Again, I think you probably know by now. I keep saying, why do we have to make it? An Apache helicopter. Yeah, I know it says that in his tail it's got a stinger, and we got stingray missiles that come out. I know, I understand. I know we've got hellfire missiles. I know. I, I think we tend to name our missiles after Revelation, not Revelation being these things. I'm, I'm sorry. In my mind, I think these are locusts. <laughs> I, just, I think they are. I think they're locusts. Now, they're creepy locusts with blonde hair and teeth of a lion. Uh, It's kind of creepy. But I tend to think that out of the abyss comes these locusts. Are you paying attention to the cicada thing that's happening? Are you freaked out by that? Don't worry. The cicadas aren't going to kill us unless they have blonde hair and lion teeth. Because, uh, uh, but I think that these locusts are actually locusts. Again, I want to remind you, these things happening kind of mirror what happened during the plagues. Can you look back at the plagues? I don't think Apache helicopters came upon Pharaoh and his men. I don't think so. But I think locusts did, and I think God will still use locusts, and these are demonic locusts, and they don't act like locusts because they're actually told, leave the plant life alone. Locusts come and destroy the plant life. These are told, attack the people. Leave the plants alone. And they have a leader who came out with them, and this is who I think is Satan, Abaddon or uh, Apollyon, which means the destroyer. Satan is called the destroyer in Scripture, so I believe this is Satan who is the king that leads them. They have a leader. And their goal is to wipe out. They're to attack the unsaved, inflicting a painful sting. I don't know of any Apache helicopter that can only kill unsaved people, not saved people, but those that are marked on the forehead by God are spared. They assault. It lasts for five months. Is this a literal five months? I don't know. It could be, but it is a time. Again, everything you see, if it's given a time, it's a time frame. And they're led by the king named Abaddon, which means destroyer. I think that's Satan there. And I think that's his first welcome appearance. (laughs) Welcome to the tribulation. Where are we at in the tribulation, by the way? Pastor Don, is this the first three and a half years? Because you said they weren't that bad. You said the last three and a half are bad. 
I don't know where we're at in here, but I don't think we're at the end yet. I think the woes possibly are the beginning of the middle of the tribulation. I'm not saying that for sure. I'm just looking at a time frame, and it's hard to see. Is this layered upon layered? The six seals, I think, were happening pretty quickly. And so there's a terrible thing happening, at least in the beginning of the tribulation period. We, are we there toward? I don't know for sure. But I know that this is awful what happens. These locusts with stingers like a scorpion and inflicting pain, it would be awful. Again, you can see how, imagine living, maybe you're thinking, well, I was part of the two-thirds that survived the other things. Yeah, but now the locusts have free reign, and they're going and they're stinging people relentlessly for a long period of time. There's no relief. This has to be so bad because everybody wants to die. Everybody wishes they were dead, but they can't quite die. And so this is an awful thing that's happening. Now we get to the sixth trumpet, which is the second woe. And that's in verse 13 through 21. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, and in their tails were like snakes having heads with which they inflicted injury. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murderers, their magic arts, their sexual morality, or their thefts. So things are getting worse. We have this plague of locusts, which is awful. And now in the sixth trumpet, Let's look at that specifically. The sixth trumpet, we have four demonic angels. I think they're demonic. Some people think they're just four angels. However, we never see in Scripture holy angels being bound. Why would they be bound? And so I look at this very literally and say, oh my goodness, I, this has to be four demonic angels that were bound for this moment. We see that they wield uh, an evil army of 200 million. That's that 10,000 times 10,000 squared times or whatever it is. I did the math. 200 million evil army their one purpose is to kill one-third of mankind who, who is this army <laughs> again you could spend all day looking at a tree and trying to figure this out step back and just remember there's the forest that we're looking at in revelation is this an evil demonic angel army i i don't know a lot of people believe this is the asian corridor so it would be China and all of the Asian type of nations coming up against the land. I don't know. I, it is not impossible for me to believe that this dominion is 200 million demonic angels. We don't know the number of holy angels and demonic angels. Could be. But I do know that whoever this is, they 
are going to wipe out one-third of mankind. Now, here's where we have to do some quantum math. This was a hard week for me because you need to know I went to a Christian school and math was not my forte. I just don't like math. I really don't. But I was thinking back on the seal judgments and we learned that one-fourth of... Put your hats on, okay? Our thinking hats. Somebody help me with this. One-fourth of all mankind was destroyed in the seal judgments. Now we're in the trumpet judgments. So what we have is three-fourths left and a third of them... No, yeah, a third of them was... Basically, in my math, right now where we're at, half of all humankind has been destroyed. This is awful. It's an awful time to be here. I don't believe I'm here. I hope you're not here. But surviving humanity still refuses to repent. Doesn't that blow your mind? Doesn't that blow? Does it refresh your memory of something like it before? Again, if you don't connect the plagues and Pharaoh and God's people being held in captivity, I don't see how you can miss this. There's an opportunity. God warns. He provides salvation, and then he waits, but people will perish. And if you look back on Pharaoh and his people, a lot of Christians have a hard time with this, but the Bible says there came a time when he hardened Pharaoh's heart. And a lot of people say, well, that's not fair. He did not give Pharaoh a chance. There was no chance. Pharaoh was hardened by God. Well, that's true, but there was time. Until the moment that the heart was hardened, there was time. And God provided salvation and he waited patiently. But there comes a time when it is too late. And I need to tell you that today and I need to say it over and over again. Pay close attention. It mirrors Pharaoh and the, and the terrible plagues because you need to know that there's going to come a time for the people on this earth even when they see the hand of God dispensing justice where they will not repent. They've crossed the line of no return and God has hardened their hearts. That's why I worry as we talk about this great number that comes out of the tribulation who are saved. I thank God for that. But I warn you, do not sit here and say, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until I know. I'm going to do what I want with my life now. And then when the tribulation comes and things get bad, I'll know I just got to tolerate that and I'll end up in heaven. I would say to you, don't wait. Don't wait. Don't think that you're smarter than God. God says he's going to put a delusion on this earth and that people will not repent. I think there comes a time when it's too late for people. God has given them an opportunity, but now it's too late. And at this point, it becomes very clear after all that they've experienced, the plagues upon mankind, they still will not repent. They would rather go to worthless idols made of wood and straw and gold and and, and, and I love how God tells us, and they can't even hear. They can't even speak. God's saying, I'm God. I hear you. I hear all the prayers of my people, and I hold them closely. And yet they worship things that cannot hear and cannot speak. And I believe at this moment it's too late. And they're lost. And then we have a change. Here we go again. Seven seal judgments, we had six seals and then a pause, parentheses, and then we had the seventh seal, which was the seven trumpets. Now we're six trumpets in, again, this is a math week, I hate math, six trumpets in and now we got a pause. I'm not giving you the seventh trumpet, the third woe, because God pauses once again, maybe to give us a breath. Maybe so John just doesn't pass out cold on the floor. Maybe he needs these moments to, to not be so overwhelmed, but God stops. And we go to Revelation 10. 
We're going to leave here and we're going to talk about the angel in the book. The first half is 10, 1 through 7. Then I saw a mighty angel come down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud and with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and he gave a loud shout like a roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. I got to pause there because I love that. Here's a mystery within a mystery within a riddle. What did the thunder say? And I love that God said, don't write that. Can I remind you again of Proverbs? It is the glory of God to conceal a matter to the glory of kings to search it out. Can I just tell us very clearly? God's intention was for that we would not know everything. You understand that, right? This is revelation, but it is not revelation of the end times. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ and a view of the end times. We do not know all. If you meet somebody who has revelation all figured out, if you find that person and he probably has a seminar and he probably has a book and he probably costs $19.99, if you see that person, run away! If they've got it all figured out and they know exactly what everything in Revelation means, run away. And then just, and if you want to check them out, just ask them, by the way, in Revelation 10, what did the thunder say? And if they have an answer, run away. God specifically told John, I know you hear that, but don't write that down. That's for, that's only for now. What did it say? What did it say? Oh, leave today in a spirit of wonder, not arrogance of thinking we know it all and then i'll continue (laughs) verse five then the angel i had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and he swore by him who lives forever and ever and who created the heavens and all that is in them and the earth and all that's in it and the sea and all that is in it and said there will be no more delay but in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet the mystery of god will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants and prophets. So we see here in verses 1 through 7 of 10, there's a book held by a mighty angel. And this mighty angel, again, many people have tried to figure this. Some people go as far to say it's Christ. It's not Christ. I'll tell you very clearly it's not Jesus because we found Jesus last holding the scroll. And now we've got an angel holding a little scroll. This is not Jesus, but a little mini, okay? And he's got a little book that he's holding. I believe it is a mighty angel. The Bible talks about mighty angels that come and they have the appearance, maybe like we would think of Christ with the glowing and all the cool stuff. But I don't believe this is Jesus. I believe this is just a mighty angel come for a purpose. Again, they serve God and they do what he wants. They're the messengers. He comes with this little book. It's a little scroll. And the angel declares the mystery. Everybody say mystery. What is the mystery? The mystery of God will be finished during the seventh trumpet. I believe, you don't have to believe this, but I still believe that the mystery involves God's prophetic program for Israel. I want to remind you that in the scheme of things as I look at it, Israel is a major focus of the tribulation and in the end times prophecies. God will finish his program with Israel. I want to stop there and just say, does that mean you support Israel in everything they do? I want to make sure you understand there's a difference between religious Israel, God's chosen people, and political Israel today. 
And I, I do support Israel on my backpack that I carry when I fly, by the way. I have an American and Israeli flag because I believe the Scripture tells us to pray for the peace of Israel. But do I believe that everything Israel does is okay? No, I, I don't. I love America. Do I think that everything America does is okay? No. No. Is it okay to be a Christian and say, I support Israel and I pray for Israel, but at the same time say, Israel is not perfect and it's not impervious to to making evil decisions? Of course they could. In our current state of what's happening, I don't want to get into the politics of this. Uh, I do hate the, the negative media slant against Israel. I do believe that when any nation is attacked, a nation has a right to defend itself. And some people would say, well, Israel took their land. Uh, guys, they've been fighting over that stretch of, of beach for a long time. Way back in the day, God promised this to Abraham. And they've been fighting over that little stretch of earth for a long time. Everybody claims it's theirs. It's Israel's now. Can I just tell you real quickly, in my own little feeble mind that didn't have anything to do with math, so I really got this. If Mexico started hurling bombs into Texas, and finally Texas said, and it probably wouldn't take as long, but Texas would say, oh, no, you don't. And Texas bombed Mexico, and they did a better job than Mexico. Mexico threw some Maltel cocktails, and they threw some bombs, right? And boom. And Mexico said, that's not fair because Texas is ours. We, we have Texas as ours. We claim it as ours. Yeah, at one point they own part of it, but they don't now. And the lines are very clearly drawn. And so if you lob bombs into a nation, a nation has a right to defend itself. Yes, any loss of life is horrible. Any loss of life. So I'm trying to tell you all of this to say, as Christians, how do we deal with Israel? Well, support Israel in prayer. Understand that they're God's chosen people and God will finish his prophetic program with them and i believe that's what the mystery is i think before the seventh woe the angel comes to reveal it's about done here it's about time for the final judgments and i believe the mystery is god is going to do everything he said he was going to do in the abrahamic covenant in the palestinian covenant and in the davidic covenant you can name all the covenants that god made with his people they're all going to come to fruition everything will be finished here that's what i believe and then we have this weird 10, 8 through 11, and we'll be done. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and I ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I ate it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. As we wrap up this section, a very strange parenthesis between the sixth and the seventh trumpet judgment, John experiences this angel. And the angel is holding this this little book, and John is told to ask the angel for the little book, and when he got the little book from the angel, the angel said, now eat it. So the prophet had to consume this scroll, and the angel warned him, it's going to burn in your stomach. 
but it's going to be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Friends, as I walk away from our message today, I, I simply just want to point it out. Sweet in the mouth, bitter in the stomach, I want to give you a revelation fact. My big idea today is I must trumpet the gospel of Jesus. We must sound the gospel while people have a chance to repent and come to Christ. A revelation fact is God is establishing a righteous kingdom. Sweet. Everybody say sweet. For those of us who are believers, we dream of heaven. We dream of of peace and we dream of, of no more wars. We dream of no more tears. We dream of all these things. And for God to set up that kingdom in our minds is sweet. Yes, however, that can only happen at the destruction of all the unsaved. And that should hit your stomach in a bitter, sour way. Christian today, I want you to leave knowing that you're safe, you are secure. I believe we won't experience this tribulation period, but I don't want you to sit here and feel aloof. I don't want you to sit here and leave today saying, oh, it's awful for those people. No, I want you to leave today. I believe God wanted John before he proceeded to understand how awful this is. Yes, it sounds sweet that God has a righteous kingdom and there's no more Satan. There's no more demonic angels. There's no more hell. It sounds sweet, but it can only come at the destruction of all mankind who does not believe. I must trumpet the gospel i'd have the team come and get ready to play us out today i know it's dark i know i I pray you're not discouraged it's not fun writing these messages and preparing them for you as i think of the bitterness of it but i do think and pray that it will do for you what it did for me this week it's given me that desire that more people be saved to give the gospel to not be afraid can you imagine us being afraid to share the gospel because somebody might laugh at us. When you read these portions of scripture, can you get past somebody might laugh at you? Can you get past the fact that somebody might think you're nuts when you talk about God and his son Jesus? Can you get past that? Somebody giggling at you and the fact that they're going to face eternity in hell? I hope this morning You can leave both sweet and bitter. Sweet in the confidence that he's your savior and you won't experience this, but bitter in your stomach that anybody would miss out. And understand that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should become to repentance. Who is it that you know this week that needs to hear the gospel? They have an opportunity. Who is it that you can share the good news that Jesus saves? He's done everything on the cross that needed to be done so that forgiveness of sin can take place. And I will remind you that every person in the world of all time must stand before a holy God someday, and he's going to want to know who's paying for the sin. The good news is that Jesus Christ paid for sin, and all those who come to him and by faith and ask him to forgive their sins will be saved. Have you done that today? Have you made sure that you know your destiny. If not, I encourage you to ask him to save you this morning. Don't wait. We have baptism coming up. Baptism doesn't save anybody, but we've got two men that will be baptized on our celebration Sunday. There's room for more. Maybe you're, you're a believer, but you've been on the fence, and maybe you've been kind of living an incognito Christian life. You just don't want to let everybody know. No, no, no. It's too late for that. It's time. 
As we read this, let it stir your stomachs to want other people to come to salvation and to stand in the waters of baptism to declare, I'm with Jesus. Father God, we pray today in the mighty name of Jesus that you will save. God, we thank you for this time right now. We see from reading Revelation how sweet and precious this time is where mankind has an opportunity to be saved. God, I pray that the time would not come too soon. When I read this today and think about the bitterness in my stomach, I ask you, Lord, Terry, just Terry. Oh, give us time for our friends and our family and our coworkers and our neighbors. Give us time, God. Oh, God, give us moments. Give us opportunity to share the gospel. Help us to start a conversation and with boldness proclaim Jesus. Oh, God, give us an opportunity to spare many. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.